You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. And welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on the big board, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, what's going on tonight? Go, not much, Matt. I got an email, I guess that was about, I don't know... 5 15 tonight telling me that i have to be at work tomorrow like some goddamn savage so that's uh that's really got me in a chipper mood the readings for tonight have me in a chipper mood let me ask you this what is one prediction that you think is going to come true in this, the year of our Lord, 20 and 24, one thing that you think is going to happen before the end of December 31st, 2024. I have learned to expect in the past three years to never expect anything. Because the minute you do, everything goes fucking cattywampus, man. I expect we'll all be a year old. That's a dodge, Matt. You don't I know. get a dodge. I know. All right, I got mine while you continue to think. Okay. I I believe, and, and I don't know which book this is going to happen in, right? I don't know if it's going to be Detective. I don't know if it's going to be Batman. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be uh, Batman and Robin. I think this is the year we finally get Alfred back. It's time. Any number of possible avenues are out there. I think this is the year it happens. You know what? Okay. I believe that we have gone currently as of this moment, gone a little over a year and a half with no Justice League title. The last issue of Justice League came out June 2022 cover date. But the Justice League died and it's gone forever. Well... I think by the end of this year, we will see a new Justice League number one. Who do you think is going to be on it? That is a good question. Because I feel like every attempt to do a Justice League since Morrison that has not been some iteration of the Magnificent Seven has not worked. So I think it will be at least with the traditional seven Justice Leaguers. Cyborg is a Titan. It's all been reestablished. All the continuity has come back. Cyborg's back with the Titans. So it's going to be Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern, Flash. The question, of course, there is going to be which at least Green Lantern and Flash is it going to be? And I think that's more up in the air. I think there's a good chance it would be Barry since the main ongoing is Wally West's book now. So Barry Allen has no home except occasionally popping up as a supporting character. So I would not be surprised if Barry Allen was 
the Flash on the Justice League. And Green Lanterns, that's a little trickier since there are two ongoing Green Lantern books right now. One is Hal, one is John, who are the two most well-known Lanterns. Uh, what's what's the Lantern that was in, I want to say that was a Black Label book? Far Sector. Yeah. Joe Moline. I would love for it to be Joe Moline. She's a great character. Uh, I, I think that would be a perfect opportunity to work her into the league. Putting a weird black female lantern on the league. That's a great choice. Especially with how male the league is. Having one of those main slots represented with a female character is a great idea. And and how about this? How about uh, Gail Simone? I would read that in a heartbeat. If DC editorial, you've heard it here first. Let's make it happen. The only thing that might interfere with that is if the rumors are true, Marvel is giving Gail X-Men. Oh, god damn. Look at that. Yeah, the rumor is Gail Simone's name is attached to the free comic book day Marvel X-Men comic. And usually that's the forerunner for the new main book. So there's a good chance that Gail is the writer on X-Men, which is a huge thing. Wow. Yeah. I am clearly behind on my comic news. I will also read that book. We need to do a Gail Simone episode sometime soon. Yeah. If not Gail Simone, uh, wish cast Jason Aaron. At my annual houseiversary party, Amber and I always have a little housewarming open house party at the anniversary when we got our house. Dan Grote, guest, friend of the show, etc., and uh, my buddy John Bush, the former manager at Dewey's Comic City, and I were standing around the fire pit talking about who we would want to see on a Justice League book. And Aaron was one of the names that came up because he's one of the few marquee writers out there currently who has not had a run on Justice League. Morrison has, Wade has, Snyder has, Tom King hasn't. We just... No, you take that back. (laughs) We didn't need that. You suck that back up into your butthole where it belongs. I, I wouldn't see that happening. I think Aaron is the biggest name who's now working at DC who would be the logical creator on a Justice League title. Tinian is is a big enough name, but he's not really doing mainstream superhero stuff anymore. Joshua Williamson has already done a Justice League thing. And Aaron, mid. I prefer our, uh, Williamson's indie and horror stuff to his superhero stuff. I will say, I think Nailbiter, his dark ride that's running right now, Birthright is great. His superhero stuff is okay. But yeah, we'll, that is we'll my- get it. We'll get into some replacement level mid tier superhero uh, comics tonight. Oh, will we ever? Oh boy. Oh. But before we say hi to our guest, and get into the episode. Guess what we have this week? Oh shit. We have a new Patreon backer. Ah! 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 Due for 2024. Let's say hi and welcome to new Tim Drake backer, Dan Ofer. Hey, Dan. Dan Ofer. 
Good to have you aboard. Oh, for the gopher. That sucks. Uh, take that back. That's terrible. <laughs> we we got to workshop it. We, we, we got to workshop yeah. on this one. But speaking of Patreon backers, we are, as ever, or once again, joined by one of our Patreon backers, the wonderful Abigail Harpom Esquire. Hey, Abigail, how's it going? It's going well. I'm back by no demand. Oh, plenty of demand. I demanded it. And we'll ask so little of the show. How can I say no? I know. But Abigail's back, and Abigail came with with a pick. This time around, Abigail wanted to talk about the wedding that did not happen. So we are following the life cycle of the Bat-Cat wedding from the Tom King run on Bat. It was an important, not a story that we needed to cover. One of, one of the few out there that is still waiting for us to talk about. And uh, my baby, my dear, my life partner. Oh boy, she picked a whopper. I'll admit, I just wanted to talk about Catwoman's dress. Her wedding dress, which I'll have more thoughts on when we get to it, is spot on and fantastic. Point. But what we have a lot to work through before we get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, my God. We're starting with every epilogue is a prelude. This is Batman Volume 3, number 24. The writer is Tom King with art from David Finch, Clayman, and Seth Mann. Colors by Jordi Belair. Letters by Deron Bennett. And edited by Mark Doyle, Jamie S. Rich, Rebecca Taylor, Molly Mahan, and Maggie Howell. The cover date is August of 2017. Batman and Gotham Girl discuss her future. Batman pursues Catwoman across a rooftop. A big change is coming. So in this one issue, we get the very best of Tom King, the very best of his ability to evoke emotion and density in in superhero comics. And we get the very worst That's just empty, vapid nonsense. And it is 16, 17, 18 pages of the latter and so very few of the former. But it presents just the dichotomy of King as a writer. There is so much to loathe in this book, but there is just enough to really, really like. And I, this is just, all over the place this thematically tells you so much about tom king yes the central theme of nearly everything tom king has ever written is trauma mr miracle is about trauma vision is about trauma his batman run in the long run is about trauma omega man is about Trauma. Trauma and or PTSD, which is a type of trauma. Heroes in Crisis is all about trauma. Human Target is also about trauma, but comes at it at least from a different angle. So far, neither Wonder Woman nor Penguin have been particularly about trauma, but I'm sure we'll get there. Give him time. Uh, So... What is it? 75, 80, 85% of this issue is a conversation between Batman and Gotham Girl, which is a character who is just created to experience trauma. 
the trauma of losing her brother and trying to exist as the superhero that will eventually die because her powers kill her. Who was intentionally traumatized to affect Batman at the end of I Am Gotham. She was fridged in a way that was not murder. Yeah. She was traumatized to set Batman off on the quest to find Psycho Pirate to heal her. That pretty much sets all the dominoes of this run going. And the conversation is just so empty, right? Thematically, it's dense. Very dense. But we don't talk about any solid thing. There's no real substance. It's all just about, you know, what do you want to be? How do you want to live? Just this philosophical conversation that gets really old after 18 pages. And then all of that leads up to the proposal. And the proposal is really well done. It is really emotionally effective. And I just circle back to the previous comments of, I don't know what to do with this. I will make a comment. Um, Please do. I completely agree with the conversation that they're having on the, maybe it's a radio tower. I think some sort of structure with them seems really choppy. And it's almost like when you're writing something, you do bullet points of like, well, this is thematically what are the spots I want to hit. And then he was just like, yeah, that's good. We'll just use this as dialogue and shove it in. And with no nice ebb and flow between them. I do love me some Batman at daytime in the daylight and the text on these pages, not an award winner, not going to remember it. I love the art on these, like this first, like I don't even care what they're saying. I just love me some Batman in the daylight. And I feel like they captured it so well of just also when it's up close on his face, his face almost appears like grimy and dirty, not like some sort of like the new Batman where it's like war paint or whatever, but just like a grime of it's just like, oh, yeah, that's what Batman looks like in the daylight of just sort of rugged and haggard. And I really I dig these panels, the conversation, not so much. I could do without it. But the panels themselves, him meeting her in the daylight and just him still being up high with his cape. It's some nice art. The Man Brothers do the Gotham Girl Batman conversation. David Finch does the Batman Catwoman pages. So it is divided between the artists on what is going on. We're going to get a lot of this today, so we might as well start with it here. And I've said it when we've talked about him before, and I will say it as we will talk about him more. Tom King loves structure more than story. Oh, he sure does. And so much of this is structure. It is the going back and forth. The conversation, when you're looking at the conversation for structure, I don't won't necessarily say it works better, but it again, it feels like bullet points. It feels like, This thing is said, this thing is referenced later. This thing is said, this thing is referenced later. It's very efficient, but there is the question of if efficient writing is always the best writing. 
I just come away from some of the writing. If I tell you about it, I think you might have a better time than if you actually read all the wording yourself. If I just describe to you like, okay, let me set the scene and let me talk to you, like run through what went on, you'd be like, oh yeah, that sounds really great. But if you get into the minutiae of actually reading it, you'd be like, hmm, kind of the picture I had in my head was better than some of these choices. This also, I believe, I'd have to go back and reread. No, I guess there are hints of it in I Am Suicide as well. This is the jumping off point for Tom King's truly constantly depressed Batman. The Batman of Tom King takes no joy in life. He is nothing but trauma, which is something that is made clear in the wedding issue, in some of the stuff there that we'll get to. Here, he specifically says that he is never happy and that he tries to be happy, that being Batman is him trying to be happy and he fails at it, which is in direct contrast to Scott Snyder, who specifically said at the end of Zero Year, when Bruce is talking to Alfred, that being Batman is what makes him happy. Batman is not like the Flash. I always picture the Flash as the Flash loves being the Flash. He loves being the fastest man alive. He to me, is sort of like a DC equivalent of like how I imagine Peter Parker. Just loves every second of it. Whereas Batman, to me, seems more of almost like he feels like he has an obligation that he needs to be doing this. But I really don't like how, especially in the first pages on the radio tower, when he's talking to her, it's like it strips away the satisfaction he gets from fulfilling his obligation. Which to me was is just like it really again you like we're beating a dead horse, but like it just sours Batman's temperament and his motivation to me. I feel like something's missing when you take that away. Why do you want to read about someone who is miserable doing what they do? Right. If you like Batman as a character, and if you are sitting there and reading the stories about him and are like, oh, he's just miserable all the time. Don't you kind of just want him to stop being Batman so he can be happy? That's a big theme for tonight. Just Batman being miserable and readers suffering through that misery. And that's so much of what King's run is. And there are high points in this run a bunch of them are in between the stories we're doing tonight. And I think there are some charming bits in some of the things tonight as well. But again, a lot of them are balanced against so much misery. It's important contextually to realize this is right after the button, the crossover where Bruce and Barry Allen wind up in the Flashpoint universe and he meets Flashpoint Thomas Wayne for the first time. And Thomas is like, why are you still Batman? I wrote you that letter. I didn't want you to be Batman, which is why 
he gets this look on his face when Gotham Girl says, do you think your parents would be happy? Because right now he rethinks they wouldn't be. It also, in some ways, makes you think the proposal to Selena is such a reaction to that. It absolutely is. It's him trying to find happiness because Thomas didn't approve of him being Batman. That Thomas, anyway. This is just such a an ebb of, I think, reader trust and goodwill toward editorial and toward and and certainly the wedding marks the high point of the distrust and not paying off the wedding is certainly what unravels King's run. But it's it's remarkable to see just how maybe we're willing to go into this pit of misery for just a little bit. But I think so many people said after 50, oh, we're done. No, this was this was too far. This was just too much inflicting trauma upon the readers without any sort of sufficient justification. It's like lacking a catharsis. It's like, yeah. okay, so you're taking me somewhere and I understand it's going to be bumpy, but what's like, what's the third act? What's the catharsis? I'm not saying the catharsis needs to be ponies and sparkles and everything is happy. And, but I just need, I've gone on this journey of misery. And at the end of it, it kind of feels like, okay, so you just want me to go on a journey of misery. I, what am I getting from this? And I think reading this in retrospect, it loses some of the luster because we know where it's going. Mm. Reading this at the time, you can see that misery and be like, okay, he's going to come out of it. We know he isn't. Even the very end of this run, and this is the thing that, I know is your biggest issue with this run. Alfred's death is sort of the capstone of this run. And Bruce never, ever deals with Alfred's death in any way. And again, I would not call it a capstone. I would call it an afterthought as it is positioned in this run. Should have been the capstone, especially because yes. King teases well, teases isn't the right word, but there's a line somewhere in one of these books, Bruce specifically says he doesn't know what he would do without Alfred in his life. It is obviously King setting that up. And I feels like to, 50. Yeah, I think it might be. But I, I haven't reread the end of this run, but I feel like this run ends with this sunny sort of Bruce and Selena, you know, well, we aren't going to get married, but we were married for all intents and purposes and we love each other and we're always going to be together. And it doesn't deal with Alfred's death. And the next run doesn't really deal with Alfred's death. And I don't feel like Bruce has ever really processed Alfred's death. Damien has, that's the entire theme of the Robin, the Williamson Robin series is Damien dealing with the loss of Alfred and his guilt about Alfred's death. But I don't feel like Bruce has ever really faced that down. Writers have teased bits and pieces of it. Zdarsky with him meeting the alternate Alfred. There was an Alfred one shot by uh, Alfred rest in peace one shot by Tinian. But the whole thing there is 
by the end, Barbara nearly smacking Bruce because he's not dealing with it. Wade it, gave us whatever weird clone thing that was. And there's a little bit of it in there. But frankly, the best we've seen Bruce dealing with Alfred being gone is from the Rom V detective, where when he's got the demon in him, where does he go in the end? What is the last place he goes? It's not Crime Alley. It's not the site of Haley's Circus. He goes to Alfred's grave. That tells you more about how Bruce is dealing with life without Alfred than anything else. But nobody seems to want to really deal with life beyond Alfred. I don't know if King's run had been extended all the way or had gone to its original 100 issues. It seems like the kind of thing King would love to deal with because it's trauma. I think that's, to me, that's hitting the nail on the head of why he wouldn't want to deal with it because there needs to be a catharsis of Bruce dealing with Alfred's death. At some point, the misery would have to end and either needs to go one branch or another branch of him dealing with it. Yet, it just seems so much of his writing is just like, I don't ever want to leave this moment of being in this misery. Like, little teasers, but then it seems like it just drops right back down. And that's not just King. I think there are a lot of Batman writers who sit and say that he's never left that alley. But I think those are not the interpretations of Batman that work the best. That he'll never forget that moment, but he has to build a life beyond it because otherwise, again, he's just a ball of misery. And we, we were talking a lot about the other runs here. So I think we should probably let this one go and move on to the next thing. Oh, that means it's time for Batman number 24. Every epilogue is prelude on the big board. We have 357 stories on the big board. God damn. Number one is the post-crisis origin of Batman, Batman year one. Number 50 is Identity Crisis, not that one. The story where Tim Drake takes up the mantle of Robin officially. Still, at a family-friendly 69, it's Batman and Robin and Howard. At 100 is the first Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween special, Choices or Fears. At 150 is Archie meets Batman 66. Down at 200 is Blind Justice, the Detective Comics 598 to 600 anniversary story. At 250 is Batman, the Doom that came to Gotham, the Batman versus Cthulhu Elseworlds. At 300 is the Brave and the Bold animated tie-in, President Batman. And down at 357, it's Curse of the White Knight. Which sucks. I think this is the number two story of the night. Yes. Uh, As always, I'm glad we can agree on the important things, Matt. 223 is Everyone Loves Ivy, a little later in the King run. Better or worse? That was very bad, but it looked pretty. It did. It was Mickle Ginian all the way through. 
Um, this still looks good. That one is just so full of logical inconsistencies. Like, they, oh, everybody in the world except this one guy doesn't eat vegetables. Oh, Harley Quinn, who is a PhD in psychology, can do brain surgery. It's got some neat moments. I mean, the idea of Ivy taking over the world is a cool idea. But th there's a lot of, repeat to yourself, this is just a show. We should really just relax. Yeah. And very similarly here, we've got so many pages of just this ponderous nonsense. And a proposal scene that actually does work and is actually effective. So uh, I think we're probably in the right area. Um, this is, does not crack the top 200. A little bit above that, a 216 is the Brave and the Mole, the Batman Swamp Thing one-off. That's the issue before this. Man, King had some real stinkers. Meanwhile, he's also up at numbers four and six with cold days and some of these days. And then at 55 with rooftops. Just a perplexing ass writer. I, I think the offenses in Brave and the Mold are probably worse yeah. than the offenses here. Yeah. Brave and the Mold has that ending of Batman just screaming petulantly at Swamp Thing, which is the equivalent of the Darth Vader, no! no! Which is unforgivable. Neither Darth Vader nor Batman should scream petulantly. I think for my utter disdain of basically everything tonight, I'd probably put this right under Heart of Hush. Wow, you're putting some I know. below a hush story. I know. Very <laughs> I, cruel. I, I was would have been willing to go a little bit higher, but I, I can accept that. Okay, uh, new 215. And we're probably not going much higher with the other thing. And the other other thing is... Oh, boy. Oh, and, and let's just say this, as Matt is updating. So this is Batman 24, right? The wedding starts with what 44 yeah we take this huge ass break and we go right from 24 into jokes and riddles which was big old fucking waste of time but then we've got some of the best of the run after that with the two-parter of them going with damien to tell talia they're getting married the double date with lois the batman and wonder woman two-parter that's some of the strongest stuff in this run. But I just can't believe like a proposal in 24 and then actually starting to pay that off 20 issues later. It's ridiculous. Superman proposed to Lois in Superman 50. They were supposed to get married in 75. And this is one of my favorite stories. But then Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, the TV show with Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher happened. And it was like, well, they're not going to get married there. So we can't have them get married in the comic. So instead, they wound up doing the death of Superman. <laughs> and then it looked like Lois and Clark weren't going to get married on the TV show. So they actually broke them up 
And then on the TV show, they're like, no, we're going to have them get married. So they had to turn around the breakup and the breaking of the proposal and get them married like three months later. Yikes. Corporate synergy does not work. No, it does not. Especially when the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. But our second story is Prelude to the Wedding. This is five one-shots that are Robin versus Rachel Ghoul, Nightwing versus Hush, Batgirl versus Riddler, Red Hood versus Anarchy, and Harley Quinn versus the Joker. The writer is Tim Seeley, with pencils from Otto Schmidt, Brad Walker, Travis Moore, Minkyu Jung, Javi Fernandez, Hugo Petrus, and Sammy Basri. Inks by Schmidt, Andrew Hennessy, Mick Gray, Travis Moore, Jung, Fernandez, and Basri. Colors by Schmidt, Jordi Belair, Tamra Bonvalin, John Callis, and Jessica Colleen. Letters by Dave Sharp. And edited by Jamie S. Rich, Brittany Halsher, Katie Kubert, Dave Wielgus, and Chris Conroy. The cover dates are July to August of 2018. The night of Batman and Catwoman's Bachelor and Bachelorette parties have various members of the Bat family confront villains who have learned about the wedding. So, aside from just a few moments, I think this is more or less passable. And it's, to me, Seeley is in the Williamson camp of replacement-level writer. We need somebody to come in and do a book. All right, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Just, you know, whatever. But, 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 I cannot tell you how much I loathed. I believe it was the Red Hood book. And we're talking about what Hood should do as he's watching Catwoman. And I forget who it was. Probably Jason make some comment about Catwoman making out with one of her girlfriends. And it just reeked of circa 2000 male gaze obsession with lesbianism and just grossed me out. And that was disgusting. Everything else was more or less passable. That was disgusting. This is the height of pointlessness. Yeah. That's what bothers me about it. Even if the wedding had happened, nothing here that happens matters. And this is the best we have tonight. No, see, I did. Oh, maybe we actually disagree. The problem is, I think the art on the third story in many cases balances some of it up. This is just filler. This is fluff. That booster gold story is so bad. Oh, oh yeah. No, no, oh yeah. No, that that's the problem. And that's the thing we're going to have to discuss is that this is another one of those cases of some stuff is okay, some stuff is terrible. Where does that settle out? Because the booster gold story is the worst. The booster gold story, if that was just those three issues, would be like bottom 10. Yeah. I, and, okay. Well, we'll, 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 we'll get, get to that when we get to that. Because uh, I also I, I could... have feelings specifically about booster gold that you don't have because you don't have any investment in the character or any knowledge of him outside of a few stories that I do that completely pisses me off. Matt, you don't know. I could be a Booster Gold expert. I could love Booster Gold. <laughs> but no, you're right, man. You're so, you're right. That bothered you. There's one thing in here that absolutely bugs the shit out of me. Oh, what's that? Aside from Hush? Aside from Hush. 
no, the Riddler Batgirl story, the Riddler stuff in that story bothers me to no end because we've talked about this before a couple times when we've talked about Riddler stories. A Riddler story is supposed to be an intricate sort of mystery. And you should be able to go back and reread it and sort of play along. There's nothing there to play along with because every riddle is tying into some arcane bit of Gotham history that is being created for this story so the riddles work. Mm-hmm. What that means is that Eddie's long-winded riddles that he keeps giving Barbara mean nothing. It's just useless words on the page because you can't figure it out. And it gets to a point by the third riddle where you don't even hear the riddles anymore because I don't think Seeley cared anymore. No. It was just like, oh yeah, Barbara's here at the end of the puzzle because there's no point in laying out the riddle because there's no point because they're not really riddles. They're riddles because I'm telling you they're riddles. They're not riddles because you can't figure out the answer to them. Baby, what's your thoughts here? I definitely agree with that of reading. Like, okay, I have to shout out all-time favorite Batgirl costume. So I was more focused on that than the Riddler. Batgirl from Burnside is a solid costume. Yes. It kind of just felt like a scavenger hunt to me. Like, it could have just been a generic villain, A, who's like, I, you have to go here, and then the story's going to continue, and you have to come over here. It didn't seem like, oh, cool, I'm getting to learn a lot about the Riddler, or I'm getting to experience the Riddler through this story, which to me makes the Riddler a wasted character in it, if they're just a side character in it, almost. If this was your first Riddler comic you read, was this Batgirl comic with the Riddler, I think you'd come away with a very lackluster opinion of the Riddler. If you want to read a fun Riddler story, there is a Batwoman versus Riddler story in this year's DC Holiday Anthology. That's a lot of fun. Of these five, the one that I feel worked the best was the first one, the Damien Raish story, because there's actually character beats going on there. It is about Damien processing his father marrying someone who isn't his mother. There's something to actually dig into there. And Raish exposing him to a hallucinogen and him having to fight an imagined version of a child of Bruce and Selina actually gives Damien something to do and has a couple of nice conversations between Damien and Selina about what their relationship will be. There's more character. That doesn't go anywhere. Right. Oh, yeah, that goes nowhere. But at least it felt like something was trying to be said there. And see, I felt the same way about the Harley Quinn and Joker book, although it removed a lot of Harley's agency and her being free from him. That's what bothered me about it, because it felt like all the stuff that had been kind of dealt with in Harley Quinn ongoing for so long about her getting past the Joker is thrown out so we can get a Harley confronting the Joker story. And I also don't entirely know. So 
Bane, I guess, told Joker about the wedding. Joker told everyone else. Who told Harley? Was it Selena? Maybe because they are friends. There was the Gotham City Sirens days. But I don't entirely know how Harley got involved in this whole thing. One of the more frustrating things here, and we're going to get to the fact that the wedding didn't happen and talk about that. But there's this central idea that Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne could never be married. So we'll have a ceremony between Batman and Catwoman. Like that somehow makes more sense. The fact that we'll have the bachelor and bachelorette party. Like we'll have all of this other associated trappings, which just feels like, okay, we just wanted to write some of the stuff and we just wanted to put the, all of these extra books out. We're seeing the process of burning off goodwill and really hurting the relationship with your readers that it's ultimately going to be destroyed by the payoff of the story. I would agree with the comments of, again, there's no catharsis with any of these. So I'm not making any argument that, oh, no, 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 this one stands up. But like the Damien-Selena relationship to me, super interesting. I dug the idea of, it's like, okay, so it's hallucinogenics, but like him thinking about that, thinking exactly what you said. A lot of these, though, they just felt to me like you have such great pieces on the board of how you could play around with what it means that, okay, so Batman's getting married. But it's like every single one of these from the forefront is like, okay, Batman's not really getting married, so he can't establish anything or go down any of these avenues of like exploring these. And it's like, oh, like a bunch of the, I just feel like they're wasted opportunities. You could have had so many better conversations with Nightwing and Batman if it's like Batman's about to get married. And what does that mean for the paradigm shifting of Batman who had kind of, like as we see in Nightfall, has been like, I don't want you to do this because there's no shot at you getting happiness. I don't want you to follow in my footsteps. But hey, here's Batman actually establishing a bit of happiness of being in both worlds. And what could that mean for the Bat family of their sort of their primary, what do you want to call it? Like leader who is kind of like, there's only one way to do this. And it's like, oh, he's finally found a way to do both. And it's just like, that's what I want. I don't need some of these gaffes of things going on. But then I think the problem would be To have that conversation, you need to be committing to something big is going to happen and it's not just going to all fall apart. Or you then have to deal with the emotional fallout of the wedding not happening with the others, which you can't do because Tom King doesn't care about any of these other characters. Absolutely. You got, what, four issues before he has Dick Grayson shot in the head and gets amnesia. He never really uses Damien until the very end when he uses Damien as a stalking horse during City of Bane. He doesn't really use Red Hood. He doesn't really use Batgirl. He barely uses Duke Thomas, who he started at the run with. Plenty of Gotham Girl uh, as uh, Thomas Wayne's sidekick. Oh, but, but we get that great little taste of Duke Thomas in the next story. Oh, we'll get there. 
But again, I think the Damien story has some legs. I also like that Damien was being fitted for a tog, a typical Middle Eastern formal attire versus a tuxedo as an acknowledgement of his heritage, which is a nice choice. Yeah, that was nice. But then the Nightwing one, it's hush. There, there's some cute Superman, Nightwing, and Batman, but it's cute when it, it should have been more meat to that before. And hush that weird ass up. pocket dimension stuff that just was not needed. It was just an excuse so Nightwing and Hush could wind up in limbo for all intents and purposes. Then you get the Batgirl one, which is pointless and is just to sort of get to the end where Barbara realizes that no guy is ever going to live up to Dick Grayson, so she might as well make the first move. Which, again, could be an interesting thing if it was actually focused on about Barbara thinking about her relationships with other men. Because recently she had dated... Jason Bard and Luke Fox, and they'd kind of gone out of their way for a while to keep her and Dick apart. So if you wanted to start going in that direction, great, but investigate that. Then the Red Hood one, which is there for just a punchline at the end about anarchy saying that, you know, his mom used to tell him the Joker was his dad, which is a whole thing that we'll get to someday when we talk about some of the later anarchy stuff and the, the line about how and look at what I could do for the approval of a psycho who I thought was my father. So Jason could punch him in the head because that's Jason. And also bad look on Jason for all of these people from all of these causes gathered and him oh. saying he'll give $300 to all of the causes. When we know some of the causes in there are horrible people. So and there and there was some bad writing in there that mangled like the distinction between pro life and pro choice. I think it had like pro abortion and uh, it was it bad. Whatever it both was, sidesism. Yeah, and then the Harley Joker one, which just feels like nothing had happened to Harley at any point with her relationship with Joker. And this is like, okay, now it's my turn to get her out from under the Joker, which has already happened like four times. Yeah. It's just a frustrating example of tie-in comics that serve no purpose. I think that's a good place to leave it. Yeah. I just have one last comment on the Harley Quinn one. Okay. I was not a fan of... They change her costume, and it's like at the start when it's like the giant pot. She's like in com like a chef's version of her outfit. Then she's in like a Disney princess version of her outfit. I know this is not the biggest flaw in the story, but I just felt like it was like commit to it. I felt both of those costumes were really unoriginal versions of basically just like I wish if you were gonna do that of have the costume change. There was a much more original Disney princess costume for her that she was kind of in for that scene. That was like a Harley-esque thing, as well as like the chef's costume, whereas it just seemed like, oh, that's kind of not Harley Quinn, how she's normally dressed. And I don't know, it upset me. Again, I feel like they left things on the table. All right, with that, it's time to put Prelude to the Wedding on the big board!
300s? I don't even know. So what is so 300 right now after that shift is Batmite's New York Adventure. Yeah, that's better than this. But I look at this and again, it is mostly inoffensive, but it is also just it feels like there's no point to it. Even at the time when the wedding hadn't happened yet, it felt like there was no point to it. It felt like a shameless cash grab because none of the other Bat books were dealing with this. So, hey, we got to do a miniseries. Let's put out these five weekly one shots running up to the wedding. What was Detective doing around? Was this is this the, the Tinian run? If it is, it's the very end. I think this is the Brian Hill run. Ah, that Be- that quick little bit. Right, because Deface the Face, the James Robinson bit, it references Selena leaving him at the altar. So that's right after the wedding. So this is probably the very end of Tinian into Hill at this point. Or maybe just all Hill. But it's it's not it's not in not the a, heart. Not a focus. No. As much as I like Hill's work. Speaking of that, I think this is so deface the face is at 318. This is probably above that because it, they're equally pointless. But I do like that Damien issue. I'd put this above Harley and Ivy at 310. Maybe right there? The new 310. 309? New 310? Yeah. New 310. And here we go. Our final story of the night is The Wedding. This is Batman Volume 3, Numbers 44 to 50, and DC Nation Volume 2, Number 0. The writer is Tom King, with pencils by Mikkel Janine, Joel Jones, Tony S. Daniel, Clay Mann, and various pinup artists. Inks by Janine, Jones, Daniel, John Livesey, Danny Miki, Sandu Floria, and Clay Mann. Colors by Jun Chung, Jordi Belair, and Tomeo Mori. Letters by Clayton Cowles and edited by Jamie S. Rich and Brittany Halser. The cover dates are June to September of 2018. The day of Batman and Catwoman's wedding is quickly approaching. Friends and enemies are bringing presents, but none of those presents are what a couple would hope for. And behind it all, a sinister hand is moving preparing to make what should be the happiest day of their lives something far sadder. Two things I think place this book toward the bottom of the list. And and I hope over the course of our discussion, you will come to see it uh, my way. The first is the ultimate non-payoff, which was we have already talked about. But Catwoman's decision to not go through the wedding is not her decision. Right. If it is, I can't live this life with you. I can't be the hero you want me to be. It's a sad story. And I I think sad stories are okay. But it comes from Joker, which comes from Bane. Right. It's not even Catwoman having this original idea. So it is just more of Tom King inflicting this misery upon the readers. So the ultimate payoff, which very bad idea. Second, in this run up to the wedding, includes one of the very worst stories we have read. This Booster Gold thing, which once again shows off all Tom King's flaws. 
his inability, his unwillingness to just tell a straightforward story, right? If this thing had opened with, I'm Booster Gold, I am going into the past to save the Waynes and make Batman happy. But we're just thrown into this confusing mess. And then we spend these handful of issues constantly jumping forward in time and just never really being sure of what's going on. And it ends with so much bloodshed and gunplay and both adult Bruce and young Bruce having to deal with the fact that his parents are being murdered. Oh, and then uh, adult Bruce shooting himself in the head, like just this unrelenting violence and darkness and misery. And Matt has thoughts about Booster Gold, which which I will let him express. One of the very worst, one of the very most misintentioned, I failed to find the right word here, but just shit ass stories that we've read. And so I I posit that this story has earned its place near the bottom. I would agree with that. And I just want to make one comment agreeing with Will on that. This is going to sound maybe nonsensical because they're all superhero comics. But the biggest thing that bothers me when reading a story is when it does not have established rules. I'm not saying the rules need to make sense. Superman can fly. But thematically, the story needs rules. Otherwise, to me, it has no stakes and I have no investment in it. And the Mr. Keaton story to me just emphasized that of like the disorganized mess it felt like of just like, oh, okay, so I know something's going on, but I don't really 100% have all the pieces. And how this is going, I don't feel like any of it's going to really matter. And I just don't care. Like, I'm just not invested in it. Whereas if it had set something up like that, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. This is what's going on. Take me on this journey. But by not laying that groundwork, it just to me seemed like such a jumbled mess of just like any good parts in it that could be there. I'm not finding or acknowledging because it's just so jumbled. Now, that's my comment. The Booster Gold story on its own is bottom 10, if not bottom five. It is unremittingly dark. It is an intentional riff on for the man who has everything up to the point where Booster flat out says it, but it doesn't work how he planned. And so it becomes misery. And we run into the same problem we run into with something said about the first story where if this Bruce Wayne is a shitty, terrible person because he is willing to burn the world just so he can be happy. That is the definition of a terrible person. Oh, and Dick Grayson is uh, a gun-wielding murderer for some reason. For, For no reason that we can be established. I mean, I assume it's his parents were murdered, so he became this homicidal Batman, but why the fuck is he Batman? Yeah. There's no reason for him to be Batman. He should be a talon. If Bruce wasn't there, Dick logically would have been taken by the court of owls and would have been a talon. Oh, but Jason Todd has this uh, electrified uh, tire theft protection system. Isn't that funny? 
Isn't that <laughs> fucking hilarious? And Tim, that's a callback because he stole Batman's tires. Tim Drake is a boring functionary at Wayne Engineering working in a cubicle. Oh, but that's better than Duke Thomas being lobotomized. Which, again, we have no explanation. And there's the problem, because you said, there's no rules. There's also like, okay, so there's a Joker virus, I guess? But we don't know how it was unleashed. And the thing is, it doesn't matter for the story, and Tom King doesn't care. He just wanted there to be something that was miserable. But again, we run into the question, if there's no Batman, why is there a Joker? And we can get back to the, the, the failings of the Batman-y parts of this story. Booster Gold, when he was created, was created as this sort of 80s swaggering, you know, he came back from the future to the past so he could be a hero because he was a nobody in the future. He ruined his life. And now he's come back to be this, you know, a hero for profit for all intents and purposes. Like that historian from that episode of Next Generation. Yeah, similar vibe. During the events of 52, the year-long weekly series, Booster was one of the central characters in that series. And the thing that happened over the course of that series and the Booster Gold ongoing that launched out of it, is that Booster grew up. Booster maintained that persona outwardly so people wouldn't look at him and think that he was anything more than that. But he teamed up with Rip Hunter, who's a major DC time travel character, and he basically became the guy who goes around and stops people from fucking up the timeline. He took it seriously. He became a real hero. King completely ignores all of that character evolution and makes him a complete fuck up again and a complete idiot. There's character growth with Booster that is completely ignored to make this story work. And to give him trauma. Because you know what oh. this story sets up? Guess what this story sets up? Heroes, Heroes in Crisis. Crisis. Because yeah. Booster is one of the main characters in Heroes in Crisis. Because he's at Sanctuary because of the events of this story. He's Lady Macbeth at the end of this story. Only it's his goggles instead of his hand. How could the old man have so much blood in him? Out damn spot. And doesn't he spend something like a year chained up in the proto-Batcave? Mm-hmm. More trauma. And at that moment, he actually does use the Booster Gold, the greatest hero you've never heard of, which was the tagline of the Booster Gold series where he grows up and becomes a real, you know, major superhero, even though nobody knows about it. So King at least knew about that tagline. Are, are you are you talking yourself into putting this story at the bottom, Matt? Are you getting warmer? But we, we, we're going to have the other issues to talk about. And that's where this whole thing... Issue 44 is one of my favorite issues of King's entire run. I love that issue. I think it's wonderful. I can't even remember it after wading through this shit. 44 is Selena breaking into a dress shop to shop for dresses while also cutting back to reproductions of classic 
pages of Batman and Catwoman stories yeah. with beautiful Mikkel Janine art on those and beautiful it's glorious. It's- oh, 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 you mean Tom King doing more of his bullshit? Yes, but again, if Tom King had just done that here and we hadn't seen him do it a million times since, it would be charming. In this one story, it is charming. So yeah. let me, Because let, it let is me also t- stylistically about Selena remembering their relationship and each of them uses different costumes. It's about the clothing. It is formal. Uh, yeah, and right. And it's also just we we'll get to that. We'll get to that story. I have comments, but like I love her because that's something you do is you buy your wedding dress and you drink champagne. And the whole journey of it is the well Selena Kyle doing that. That she crawls through the sewer to break into the store. And then she's there alone drinking the champagne, looking for her dress by herself. And there's something tragic in that of it's just like, oh, that's the life Selena Kyle lives. That even if, again, hypothetically, because the wedding doesn't happen, she's branching out and forming like a full life of getting married. A huge part of it is still her by herself because that's who she is and her flaws as a character. And not character as written character, but personal character. So the <laughs> University of Tennessee, their marching band. I feel like my they, husband's about to mansplain something to me, but continue. No, no, no I'm not. Let's okay. go back to, to Tom King and his bullshit. The, the marching band from the University of Tennessee. They do a very intricate halftime performance called the Circle Drill. And it's about the entire marching band just marching in this circle formation, getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And it looks visually impressive. But it's the same fucking halftime performance that they have done for generations. You do not have to applaud the Tennessee Circle Drill when that's all they do. And so I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, Tom King should be applauded for doing his one trick. So, yeah, it, look, but it's... I guess here's my question. And I love that analogy. And it also points out the problem with his writing is that if you stumble upon a part of it, you're like, oh, this is really good. Like if you're just on Amazon and you're like, oh, wow, Batman's getting married. Let me buy a book. You'd be like, oh, wow, this is really nice. (laughs) But if you're reading all of it, you see that it's just the one trick. It's like going to a crappy magician over and over and over again. By the third show, you're like, oh yeah, this is terrible. Whereas your (laughs) friend who's there for the first time is like, no, that was really fun. I enjoyed it. Fucking hate the University of Tennessee. <laughs> Fucking vol bastards. It is my firm belief that whatever there is that can be likable, that can be lauded in this chunk, is so far outweighed by all of the bad things. But I, I will, I will absolutely say the art in 44 is beautiful. Absolutely stunning. I also in 46, the splash page, which I don't want to talk about how the whole thing of it's like her Catwoman costume from Tim Burton. And it, there's the whole joke of he's like, oh, I suck at sewing. So I had to sew this together. Putting all of that aside, that's a beautiful splash page of Selena in that Catwoman costume that's got the stitching on it with just the background with the little bats behind it. 
that's a wonderful splash page. And it's not the artist's fault that his splash page had to be in this book. We go from there. We do have this little eight page from the DC Nation, which has, there's one moment in it that actually did make me laugh, which I was surprised by. But there's a moment where Joker has this poor schmuck it's it's Joker's favor a la Tom King. So it has to end with, you know, misery. Of course. But there's a moment where Joker has this poor guy and the guy is terrified. And he, he finally just loses it and he screams at Joker. And then Joker tells him a terrible joke. And the guy just goes, ah! And it made me just laugh. He's like, okay, that is how you react. You're at this point in the situation where you're just done. Just just, just shoot me now and get it over with. Right. Then we get into this two-parter with the Joker, which is stunning. It's Mikkel Janine all the way through. And it's really good looking. And I guess you can, I mean, it's that same argument you can have where it is just tom king doing his tom king thing but he does have some interesting things to say about at least the way the joker thinks about his relationship to batman and i like that the entire second issue is about joker and selena and talking about the way the villains interact with each other because i think there is something interesting in how that strata and that structure and the way each of them would play off each other and the thing about how oh harvey he's the one he really used to keep us together it's weighed down by the tom king of a lot of it but i think it has interesting ideas and it does not fall into the trap of what a lot of writers have done with the Joker since Grant Morrison, where all the Joker does is speak in weird riddles and non sequiturs that only make sense on the third reading, if at all. Mm -hmm. The Joker is actually speaking in coherent sentences and is communicating and conversing versus just being pure chaos something king does in other places with the joker especially in this current brave and the bold story i also like that he does absolutely call out the riddler's horrible sideburns that have bothered me since he got them in zero year those awful pickup artist sideburns and then there's the wedding issue nice pinups gorgeous gorgeous art and some of those pinups are just stunning i especially love the last one from lee weeks just the use of blacks with little bits of highlight and the bits of batman and catwoman's faces that you can see through the masks and I know there are people who think it's hilarious and clever to have done it, but to bring in Porky Pig and the bits from Batman Elmer Fudd into actual continuity 
is kind of dumb. Yeah, you had one thing that people kind of liked. You didn't have to to do it. And I think they they reference it again outside of this, don't they? Yeah, it's it's brought up a couple times. You remember that thing we did that you actually liked? Wasn't that something? <laughs> but there are moments here that are really nice. The moment where Bruce asks Alfred to be the one witness at his wedding is beautiful. Anything nice that is there with Selena and Holly is completely undercut by the fact that Holly is playing Selena like a fiddle because she's just sort of reiterating the things that Joker said because she's Bane's agent in this whole thing. And this, again, completely destroys the Holly Robinson character who had been built for years before Flashpoint. One, I just want to, before we get farther away from them, I loved the pinups and I loved how it's Bruce talking in his bubbles. And then like the next pinup is Selena. And then as it gets along, it's both of them on the same page. I loved that back and forth of just the art and the dialogue. Totally did it for me. I loved that. If you're going to have a ton of pinups one after another, to me, that was a great way to still work in some text into them that really fit and felt almost like poetic to me. But the whole thing of her being really Bane's agent, didn't that piss you off? Like, didn't it just like, it just felt like robbed everything of it's like, okay, so you're not just ruining this character. I also feel like you're ruining selena that you're making her feel kind of stupid that she's falling and not putting this together i was more upset with how that all came together as the dominoes falling over than i was about the fact the wedding didn't happen it was like this is the reasoning for it this is what you got like did you just not have something so you just decided like yeah first thought best thought King's had that had this whole Bane thing in mind from jump. Because you can say whatever you want about Tom King. He does plan things. Lord knows he plans things. And I don't sometimes know DC editorial has to step in and save us from those plans. At least right. 15 more issues of those plans. I'll be 100% honest. I never expected the wedding to happen. I never expected them to get married. Because comics like the illusion of change far more than they like change. And for how many years they were fighting to unmarry Superman and Spider-Man, I knew it was never going to work with Batman. You cynic. Like, one, 100%. I don't think there's, like, you're a fool if you were like, it's finally going to happen. But to me, it upsets me more going back to all the one-shots that they felt like such cash grab because it was just like, okay, so I'm, I know I'm not going to get the wedding, but also these could have been so much better. And like, I'm upset that these ancillary things aren't better because I've accepted the fact the wedding wasn't going to happen, but at least there should be like the ripples in the pond should be like explored and like, yeah, we knew it wasn't going to happen, but the circumstances around it and everything were really great. Except for Last opinion I'll make that might be taken harsh. I think this was all worth it because 
Selena getting her wedding dress, those pages are so good. They are so good. I don't care if it's a cheap trick that he's done a thousand times. Those pages alone are so good and so magical. And her dress is so freaking cute that maybe it was all worth it. And I'm with Abby Ellis in that it's not the exact same trick. This actually feels like a logical progression for the character. This is Selena thinking about clothes. She's shopping for a wedding dress. Each of those stories, each of those story pages is a different costume. I don't know how to put it where it's like any writer could have done it and it wouldn't have just felt like, oh, it's Tom King. I could see someone else doing that. It's not the same formalist. It's the panels that track the time. That is the thing that bugged the shit out of me. Mm. <laughs> I can see that. I mean, I will say the thing that bugged me is you absolutely start with issue 48 or 49 is when you really, when Tom King really starts doing his every location is named oh after God. a creator. A, a bedroom. The a right. bedroom. The bedrooms in Wayne Manor have the names of creators, or at least I assume they were in the manor. And then the street names are creators. And then during the Joker's conversation with Batman in 48, he talks about having to go to the Moore Cathedral off of Bolin. That's mm. the first one that I, I've noticed in this reread. Now, granted, we've missed that chunk in the middle, but this is where it starts. And it has reached a point with me, with Tom King and that, that every time I see it, I hear the trombone. Wah, wah, every time. Because he does it so much. It has stopped being cute and it has started being obnoxious. Absolutely. And there are specific spots in Gotham that we know are named after creators. Robinson Park is an established part of Gotham. Kane County, which is also the, the Kane family, but still an established part of Gotham. The Dixon Docks, established. But not every friggin' street. Guess what? Gotham has a 42nd Street. Gotham has a 10th Avenue. Not every place needs to be named after someone. There are numbered streets. And the DD roller rink. And it throws you out of the story after a while. Yep. That is one of the big sins because it's just, you can't enjoy the story when you're constantly being thrown out by like, oh, and there's Len Wein. Oh, Danny O'Neill that time. Okay. Up oh, Jerry Conway. So nothing is worse than that one page in one of the issues of Gotham Year One where I counted there are literally 14 of them on one page. I think we're good. <laughs> that sign of utter resignation means it's time to put the wedding that didn't happen on the big board. I think for a minute there, the camera looked like I was frozen because I'm just staring and i'm not sure what to even where, where to even go with this such a cute dress like i know it creates a dilemma because it's such a cute dress there's good material in 340 in 48 through 50 
The Booster Gold story is just reprehensible. It's mean, is the thing. It's just, it's dark, edgelord. There's ways you could have done a story that did something like that without making it just so bleak and just mean-spirited. Do you have a, a place, Will? My ceiling is 340. Because the booster gold is so bad. Because the wedding is not paid off. Because this torched the entire run. This just set the thing on fire, right? Just as a moment in history, looking back over King's work, this is where everything went downhill for him. But I think it's going to be somewhere in the 340s. Because starting at 350, this is stuff that is not just poorly constructed, but has, again, honest-to-God offensive stuff in it. It's racist, it's sexist, it's problematic on a deep level. It does not have anything in it that is fundamentally offensive on a social level. Except for but, the, the Duke Thomas thing. Yeah, but Earth One at 348 is very much in the vibes of the Booster Gold story. Yes, I was looking at that and thinking, okay, I think this winds up above that just because you've got more than just that if this were just the booster gold story it would probably go below widening gyre above silent but deadly but this has that one issue which right isn't even collected in the trade with the rest of it but it fits better with this than it does with everybody loves ivy which is the other story in that trade you know, I'll say this. I thought Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Batman Hush was stupider. So I would, I'd put the wedding above that. Okay, so it might go into... I'll come off my ceiling. Oh, boy. Okay, it does not go above 331. Days of Rage is not great and has some... Very white, liberal, late 80s thinking in it. But it is not poorly intentioned. And the story actually has some stuff going on there. Below that is Night Quest The Search. Which you get a similar vibe with Duke Thomas lobotomized and Chandra Kinsolving infantilized there. Is it the new 332? Is it hey, better hey, than hey, 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 Matt, 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 Matt. I, I said I'd come off 340 a little bit, and you're going all the way up to 330. Is it worse than War Games? 24 issues. War, War Games is, for me, forgettable. Okay, that, that's a valid point. The wedding is bad in a way that doesn't go away. All right. My ceiling... And I stand firm on this one. Gotham by Gaslight at 336. Then I think it's the new 338. I that think I can live with. It is below Case of the Chemical Syndicate, above Mask, which is just sort of pointless and forgettable. Yeah, I can't even talk about 
not great stories anymore. I'm just, I'm, I'm spent. And from henceforth, I'll tell everyone how much you loved the wedding and the Booster Gold story. It's a really cute dress. If nothing else, they nailed that dress. Which baby, really doesn't go to baby, him. Baby, baby, we will renew our vows and you can get you a copy of the dress. Oh, I've already started looking. You know, if we had had my way, we wouldn't have even done the prelude. We would have done autobiography of Bruce Wayne, the story of how Earth 2 Batman and Earth 2 Catwoman got together, which is a delight. Well, it's too late for that. No, no, Matt. I was, I suggested that, and you're like, no, 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 let's do all the stuff around the King <laughs> wedding. And I was like, really? You want to do that all in one night? Okay. But I, hey, I would say you got to knock this out. It's done. We don't ever have to read it again. And I do have an episode planned around more successful bat-related weddings that will include that story. So, Well, there you go. But yeah, well, we've made it through. Oh, oh we made it through. And next week will be better. Because next week, we're going back to one of our favorite creators with three more stories from Darwin Cook. Dang, it is going to be better. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers. Dan Grote, Josh Wheel, the enchanting Mrs. Abigail Hartbaum Esquire, <laughs> Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Go Yotes, Sam Hopper, John Wickham, Robert Secundus, Bobby Tubucks, Tim Rooney, Giorgio Sergioli, David Wheel, Alexander Wheel, Matt McThorne, McThorny, and Dan Ofer for their support. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash batchat with Matt and Will, where you can get shoutouts, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm never leaving Twitter alive. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF, ComicsXF.com, or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat books, for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark. <laughs>